right, welcome to Growing Together, a podcast of Central Presbyterian Church. This podcast is about learning to grow together as a family united to Jesus. So, in many ways, this podcast is not unlike being at a family dinner table, around a fire, or any other places families gather. So, welcome. Take a seat, and let's get going. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Growing Together. Uh, we're excited to explore what makes Central, Central. Uh, I'm Cole Lesher, pastor of college and young adults here. And with me, I have Matt Woodson, director of All Things Beards and assistant director of student ministries. He's got a dual job. It's very impressive. Say hello, Matt. Uh, I'm going to be the other Matt for this episode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get real confused here. What should we say? Should we say like Matt W, MW? Or, um, uh, usually Matt, double just, M. Matt's actually never go by their first name. They usually go by their last name. So if you just want to call me Woodson for this episode, then fine. Okay. We'll see. Just we'll see what episode. So I already, uh, I already don't go by my first name. So where does that <laughs> me in this story? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm also here with Pam Smith, who is in our communications department. Hello, Matt. Or hello, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's going to be like that. There's too many Matt's already. I mean, we already had a podcast in which the pastor's wife is the same name as me, which was confusing enough. Yeah, well, we had to. We, <laughs> and now we have two Mads on a call. We definitely had to specify that one. And we also have Mazzoni, Matthew Mazzoni, director of music ministry and all things music stuff at Central. Welcome, Mr. Mazzoni. Hey, it's great to be here. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a fun one. We start with kind of a ridiculous question to get the ball rolling, maybe get a uh, you know laugh track going. Who knows, really? The possibilities are endless. Could and you so, get a laugh track going? Yeah, I mean, we, we really should have one, or like an applause one. That's basically just my role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we should have what, one for the stream. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, this is what Pam does. Um, so my first question, I don't know if this dates us at all, but I don't know if you remember the craze. I guess it was Tim Hawkins was a comedian that talked about this a lot. But there was this kind of craze about the worship hands in service. And there was that kind of funny, like there's goalpost and heartburn and all that stuff. So my very, very serious question is, what is your favorite worship pose in the art of worship? Wow. I love those posters or those things that you see. <laughs> they were they were hilarious. But, you know, you didn't really see a lot of like different most people there were kind of just two or three that sort of dominated i appreciate that they came up with was it like carrying the tv something like that <laughs> like the hands low like palms up you know but kind of like it's weighty that was really clever i think that was a favorite but you gotta <laughs> just love someone's fists pumping in the air all in oh yeah. you know hands up forward sideways in v out i mean there's so many things <laughs> Yeah, mine was the heartburn the whole time. Yeah, you're just right. grabbing your heart and the one hand up, or the heart attack is what it was also called. But I, was, I feel <laughs> right. like that's a little help me. It could be saying, yeah, that's a little I, too sudden. I'm so into this Jesus, or help me, I'm having a heart attack. It's really <laughs> help me, one. help me seriously. Something, something is wrong. Something um, is desperately wrong. So yeah, uh, I just always loved the Lion King one. The two hands close together. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I grew up yeah. Pentecostal, so we were like, we're going oh. all out. So my hands were 
all oh, the way man, up. I've gotten so my you... weekly workout because I've had my hand cut for so long. I mean, that's that's good, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, that's what real Christians do. Let's be all honest about that one. <laughs> I just remember it was always conflicting as a kid or as a young Christian in the churches, and been like, um, "Do I put my hands up now? Do it? No. Is this what, moment? When is it? Right. Is it authentic? I don't know. Am I thinking too much about right. this? I probably I'm like, am. I'm thinking I'm feeling yeah. this, but I'm also like, I don't know. It just feels like, what if I'm, I don't, don't want to be the first one? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't really, I don't really want to be the first one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Peggy already went. All right. So I think I yeah. can. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Or we can go, go a little like... bit. We can kind of, kind of shoulder height and then maybe <laughs> work up from there if it's certain feelings. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like the Macarena. <laughs> so, so, so I wonder then, Pam, like, do you, is there like an audio tech thing, like where as you increase the volume of the speakers, like you notice the hands go higher? Like is it <laughs> like a thing where they're like, oh, this is gonna get them, and you like you turn the change the. I'm just imagining the cobra, the guy playing the little <laughs> thing, know, and like... the cobra's coming out of the basket, and we're like, let's see what hands raise today. Right, right. Like, let's <laughs> and we'll just slowly work those hands up there. I mean, I. I definitely see that more in the church photography side of things where, you know, any large church I've ever been in visiting, you can watch the photographers and they're like, somebody's got a hand up. Let's go. Let's go find that, that person. Shot. They're into it and we need that picture. Yeah. That's right. We need that. Yeah. 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 This is our credibility. That's right. So oh. look great on the website. I mean, whoever that person was who stood on that mountaintop with their hands up at the sunset, like they've been in all this. <laughs> It's just some actor in a stock photo, but they're like, that's the yeah. picture, right? Yep. I hope they got some copyright they situation on that one. That. So they get a little something on that one. You think they sat at that one and said, that one's a hit? Well, there's the mountaintop, the wheat field. There's like a variety. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just go to Unsplash. You'll find all those. Hashtag not a sponsor yet. Unsplash. <laughs> contact so, us for uh, details, though. <laughs> yeah. Con contact us for more. <laughs> Anyways, so second question I have is actually a serious one, I think. Let's hope it goes seriously. Who knows? Who knows? So we have the ridiculous nature of the hand pose, which is not ridiculous in of itself. You know, expression of worship is a good, thing. a good thing. So what worship music or part of the liturgy do you think has formed you most? Okay. That is a much deeper question. <laughs> Yeah, zero to 60. Oh, zero to 60. No, that's good. You know, for me, it's always looking at thinking of the big picture and like kind of imagining like if you're drawn through this whole kind of this like diagram and you know, if you were to draw like a lot, like this is up, this is down, so to speak, a little bit of like moods feels more like outward and feels more inward. So I'm going to do the musician thing. Like name your favorite song. It's like, ha ha, I'm not going to do it. Um, so because they never do, right? But I'm going to kind of say, I can't say that there's been like, oh, this moment always gets me. But what happens is that sometimes things come together in an extraordinary way that you can't really predict. And even though we plan these services, you know, certainly we know a week ahead kind of what we're doing, but even in many weeks before we're planning and working on this and I have the scripture and I've spent some time with it. And then I talk to Clay and we spend some time on it together and, you know, all that, like we kind of have an idea, but you never really know until you're there, how it really comes together. And it's very dynamic and very alive. And so there've been moments where we'll just sing some, some line of a song, like in a confession and I'm literally have a tear in my eye or something will like the way the sermon kind of win its course. And then I know what we're doing right after that. Every line of this song right now is totally hitting a point. And, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. and I remember like, oh yeah, we picked that. 
that happened maybe two weeks ago for me in some way. I forget what it was. And I remember we basically picked that. It was sort of like, oh, that should be okay. That was, you know, we kind of had the idea, but it, it got about that much. Oh, that should be fine. And then we like every line of it, every little petition, every little half verse, boom, like something happens. So, I mean, I guess for me, you'd have to say, if I had to pick a part of the liturgy, it's the way the music intersects with it. I'm a musician. I do the yeah. church music. I'm really drawn into it. I mean, anything can impact you, but I guess I would say it's when music really hits the groove, hits the point where it just really brings out something spiritually that is just so powerful in that moment. Yeah. And that can be different yeah. for like every person. So what might hit me, like where I am and what the words are doing for my heart in that moment would be totally different from, could easily be totally different from way someone else is in that moment too. So, you know. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. A follow-up question to that, you know, you talked about how being a musician changes the way you experience that. So maybe getting a little deep, a little bit of music theory stuff, like, do you notice when the mode of this song has changed or this time signature is signifying something uh, spiritually? Well, I think we have to start out by saying that D minor is, of course, the saddest of all keys. But after we can get <laughs> past that... <laughs> No, I, well, so the thing with the songs too is that you can do them so many different ways. You know, sometimes they kind of have to be in their native style, but sometimes you can migrate those around, right? You can do a hymn and you can do it with a band and you can make an arrangement and you can change the tempo and make it feel one way, or you can do it more contemplatively, make it feel another way, or you can do it with a keyboard instrument like an organ or an orchestra. Like you can make all these different sort of moods and feelings out of it. So for me, the song itself is kind of the raw material. And that is already got stuff you're going to resonate with. Yeah, it could totally be like the, when a chord just kind of arrives and it just feels like different. I would say that I've had those kind of noticing experiences more when I was in churches where I wasn't the music person. Hmm. I was just an attendee. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's maybe a real simple three chord song, four chord song. But there's something about like when it goes from here to here and it just sort of shifts you in a moment, you know, it can be very in the moment, very present with that. So it can definitely be that. Um, some kind of big arrival that you've been building up to something and you get to like, and here's the chorus, maybe for the 12th time, but get arrived this time and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. hit you. Yeah. And you yeah. can't really manufacture those moments. You can kind of hope to, and this is true of playing any kind of music, whether it's in a worship service or any other kind of performance, you can kind of hope that you can see like, this is the mountain. We want to go up this mountain and have a flag on the top, but you never really, like if it doesn't really come together, you know, like any other activity, it might not really quite strike in the same way that it could. So, you know, who knows what makes those things really happen, but certainly in the context of worship, I'd say it's it's the Holy Spirit just kind of making you sensitive to things. And when you're really open in those moments, all kinds of things, it can be a word, it can be just the sound of people around you. It could be the way that one of the musicians is, happens to be playing at that time. Like, you might just be like, I'm really just kind of struck by that. Yeah. And hopefully that's, the, you know, the Lord using all those things. I always knew the mark of a good worship band was when the bassist actually looked like he wanted to be there. That's usually a good um, start, right? That was, a, that was always the feeling. Right. Uh, <laughs> Instead of they recruited me, I'm actually, I don't even yeah. play the bass, but they showed me three notes and now I'm here. Yeah, I was literally the only one they could ask. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in college, I went to a church that uh, the worship leader, um, he was also in a metal band. Mm -hmm. And he was the lead singer of a metal band. And so he would lead worship. But then all of a sudden, 
there would be this moment where he's getting really excited and he just kind of moves into this scream a little bit. Right. And, it's just, and I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah, I was like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like central. Really. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sounds just like See, us. Metal is definitely a huge influence on yeah. all of our decisions. Central. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and my uh, apologies literally to everyone <laughs> in that comment right there. <laughs> so <laughs> some of you are very deeply sad about that, and I feel for you in that way. Um, yeah. I don't think we have enough math rock in our liturgy. <laughs> yeah. No, there's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All oh, right. Right. Well, in the previous episode, we got to talk with Pastor Charles about what congregational care looks like or has looked like during the pandemic. And I'm curious to hear what you have learned about worship in the midst of all this pivoting we've had to do throughout the pandemic. Because I think in, in one way, like acutely, your department, or I mean, not, you're the most visible pivot of our entire church. <laughs> because overnight, you had to go in another direction. So I'm curious what you have learned sure. and what has been challenging and then what has been surprising, like a surprising gift to some extent. Right. You know, I just remember thinking back when all this started, we had just gotten through the big event at the Sheldon and we had just kind of wrapped up this anniversary year. And it was a lot of just sort of big production work that was part of that process. And we were all kind of kind of looking to breathe on the other side. And it was in that week. I remember talking down in the uh, fellowship hall here at church with Clay grabbing lunch or something like that just and happened to run into him. And we had talked about yeah, the way things are going because that was when the universities were starting to shut down or delay the return after spring break. We were starting to get news reports as oh, some of these colleges are not going to go back for a couple of weeks or this or that. And we were starting to like, gosh, I wonder what will happen for us here at the church. And thinking kind of jokingly, well, I guess we can do, you know, church on TV. We have the stream. Like, I guess we could do that. That was Wednesday. By Friday, it was like, so we're doing church on TV basically now. It went from kind of a ha-ha, wouldn't that be amusing? Like, oh, could you believe it? You know, and then actually now this is this is the reality. So yeah, pivot was it was the word. Of course, we didn't know how long things were gonna go. So a big part of it was trying to figure out what are we doing just in the short term we're just going to like kind of go into triage mode and then in the longer term how are we going to let this play out it really took a little while i mean it was in march so it was, was not really for a few weeks that we were starting to think about like okay more long term what does doing this look like so what did we learn i learned some important just personal lessons the first is that god gives you what you will need in the moment period and he will give you what you need to worship him. He does not make it so that you cannot come to him, even if you're separated, even if it looks very different, even if you have to do all these protocols, even if you have to do all these things, even if many of the things that you enjoy about being able to bring sort of lavish gifts in worship, you know, like a big offering, like new music, we're going to make it like kind of big because it's an outpouring of the gifting that we have which is always our hope, right? How can we engage people in their gifting and have them share? It felt like if you were given a palette to paint with and then someone went and they took most of the colors off and said, you only get this one and this one and this one now. <laughs> so we're going to try to like create a masterpiece, but we only have these three colors. And then it would change. And now, okay, so we're going to do outdoor Vespers, you know, and now your colors are this one, this one, but not this one. So you have new palette to work with. And so we're going to try to do that. Now we're going to go in the sanctuary in person, but we have these things. And so it felt a lot of like every couple of months, you were given a new set of paint and now you're going to have mm. to try to make that work. So what can you, like, we're trying to really balance the touch points between what is 
sort of meaningful continuity versus, okay, we don't have to just do that because we have, let's try something new. Let's try something different because we have an opportunity in this moment to do that. Or we have to do something different in this moment. Probably the way that people notice that the most in our worship services is that we've obviously had to kind of put two different styles of songs together. We have a more classically oriented traditional style. We have a little more contemporary style, right? So we're trying to put those things together. And that's something that I've been sort of working towards in some ways at the church since I got here, because when I got here seven years ago, it was very fractured, actually. And there was not a lot of of a generous spirit between, I prefer A, I prefer B, or whatever, X and Y, say whatever you want. You know, there was not a lot of mutual, um, it didn't seem like there was a lot of mutual understanding kind of coming in that area. And so we were kind of trying to take what felt like kind of a very thick line of division and start to slowly erase that. Like, how can we erase it? How can we bring people together? How can we start to do that? And if you would have asked me this question prior to COVID, I would have said, you know, this stuff we're doing at the Sheldon is only possible because we've been doing this. I don't know how we would have got the whole church together in one room and done some kind of music where we didn't make half the people in the room feel alienated or just Mm -hmm. turned off by it unless we had already been kind of growing towards that. But then COVID pulled the rug out and like, well, now you have to. So I remember sitting down and making a list of the songs. Should we do that? We keep a list of songs. We want to be very intentional about what we're bringing the congregation to sing. That way people can learn them and really know them and really be engaged with them. And that we're trying to bring things that are going to have a lot of uh, value, add a lot of value to our worship. So I remember taking the list. We have, you know, the list from the 830 service, the list from the 1115 service. I started figuring out where do they actually overlap. And both of them probably have around 100, you know, 120, 110 songs, plus or minus a few, you know, something like that. And about 50 of them already overlapped. And I was like, well, that's actually a pretty good core place to be. We have about half of these songs. Everybody in the church can probably sing with a reasonable amount of familiarity. So we started with that, and then we started branching out. Okay, so now we're going to add from this list. But we didn't do a lot of adding because already people were experiencing so much that was new. So it was learning that God will provide in the moment whatever we need to find. You learn that you find what you need even if you're separated, but then there's a flip to that coin and that there's some things we can only get from being together. I remember the very first Vespers service that we did in the parking garage in late June or early July, whenever that was. And it was the first time I'd heard a group of people singing in a congregational song in, you know, whatever, months. Mm -hmm. And it it brought tears to my eye because I was like, oh my gosh, like people are here together again. We're actually doing it. There's something really special about being together that you cannot create any other way. And so both of those things that we need each other, but we also can find sustenance even in those more desert places. I think that's kind of the big lessons from that. Yeah. And then mechan- all this mechanical stuff, which is why I spend a ton of my time every day, every week, you know, <laughs> what songs are we doing? How are we doing them? Who's playing? All those kinds of things, which is the nuts and bolts questions. Those tend to kind of work themselves out as we go. But yeah, trying to find ways of growing relationships with each other and making meaningful connections. You know, it is interesting. Some of the songs that I said, like, well, so it does force me to be more efficient. So like if we're only going to do a list of say 50 songs and then we're going to pull out and we're going to maybe have another 10 or 50 more, we're going to try to work in, you know, going like, what's really worth it. And, you know, there are some that I'm like, there's some good value in them, but maybe they haven't been, they're not going to be my first priority to like bring this one back right now. Yeah. Not until later, because it's like, you know, or maybe maybe it'll just sort of fade off and then something else will come and take its place. Yeah. You know, obviously some great new things being written and exciting new things to bring into play. I love that bringing, you know, younger generations and older generations together. Mm-hmm. And 
it's really hard musically and it's really hard in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to life. <laughs> I think being forced to do that has had its, you know, starts and faults and whatever, but like believes we're trying, we are legitimately trying to figure out how to not divide us like we're told to uh, everywhere else. Right. And it's easy to look to tradition or to trend and be like, yeah. hey, we're going to really embrace one or the other. And both of those don't really lead you where you want to go. Um, yeah. This will come as probably no great surprise. I'm not super interested in trends any more than I'm interested <laughs> in tradition for tradition's sake. Right. You know, what I'm interested yeah. in is depth. What I'm interested in is value. What I'm interested in is what will help us grow deep you know, what is meaningful to us. And that could be something that is literally being written during the course of while we're recording a podcast and someone could be writing a great new song that's like, this is really powerful and going to be so speak to so many people. And then yeah. at the same time, honestly, John Newton got a lot right when he wrote Amazing Grace. 17, whatever. It's pretty solid. Yeah. There's a lot right there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and there were a lot of other songs from that time that we don't sing because they're pretty not great. You know, they didn't last. Yeah. So it's important to kind of have all of that in view and yeah. not be shying away just because it's new or because it's old, but saying if it's good and we think this is worthwhile, we're going to try to do something with it. You know, yeah. I think it's gone pretty smoothly too, honestly. I think at the start, everyone felt super uncomfortable and sure, I mean, everything was weird, right? Here I'm sitting in a pew with got this yeah. mask on my it's face. Understatement, yeah. And my memory of this was one thing and now I experience it something different. So all is so disorienting. But I think that as time yeah. has settled down, I think we've kind of settled into a routine with it that has been generally, I think people have seen the value and the heart behind it and have yeah. embraced it, hopefully to some degree. Yeah, that's great. I think some folks who are listening to this will not know how much thought goes into some of these things and not that they were like oh everything's just willy-nilly or something <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh, i want to do this one this week these people think like they're just winging it <laughs> yeah but and I, I think what's cool is you just see like they're the intent and i think that's helpful you know we want to spend some time learning more about you because i think uh, there'll be a lot of people who haven't interacted with you in person because they're not doing music ministry mm -hmm. necessarily mm -hmm. and, and i love your story coming to faith so i, I hope you can share a little <laughs> bit about that it's just such a cool thing. And uh, got to put the clip but, to the song in somewhere. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll have to put it somewhere, but the anticipation. Link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. But I think one of the things that we hope to do in further episodes is have you and Mike, especially, uh, come in and talk about worship and kind of break down what we do, mm -hmm. you know, asking the question, why do we do what we do? And I think that's going to be really, really beneficial. And I think we've already kind of started that with you saying, even in the pandemic, this is why we went in this direction. And I think that's really, really helpful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that'd be a fun conversation. Yeah. So who is Matt Mazzoni? Where are you from? Oh. Yeah. What should we know about you that, uh, that you think would be, be helpful? Well, um, <laughs> Helpful seems relative, like a relative question. But, uh. <laughs> Nothing about what I will say will be helpful to anyone. Yeah. Um, well, a little about myself. I grew up in Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere. Like you have to have a pretty detailed map to find a town near where I grew up. I grew up out in the country outside of a small town called Brockway, Pennsylvania, whose only claim to fame is that it was about a half an hour from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. But it was just out in the woods. My parents had a house in 12 acres of land, and they had moved there, too. So it's not like I had long roots there. My extended family was from Pittsburgh, Cleveland, places like that. My parents wanted to move out there, so we kind of grew up out there without really a lot of family around. We had one family member nearby, but that was really it. So we were always just kind of our own little thing. I played outdoors a lot and did, you know, just kind of 
had sort of a lot of time to myself in some ways you could say, or just, we kind of had to go and make things, uh, use our creativity a lot. I think that might've had some bearing in how I grew up too. I grew up Catholic. We attended a little tiny country Catholic church that had like 10 pews on each side. My parents were very devout. So, you know, we attended very regularly and took a lot of those things very seriously. So I kind of went through that. I went through the local public school um, to give you a hint of the size. There were 92 kids in my graduating class in a public school. So it was on the small end. (laughs) The football team, like, I don't even know if they had 22 players. They had to have people play both offense and defense. Typical season, we would go, you know, two and nine. I understand that life. Yeah, yeah I understand that. Yeah, uh, and I was in the band, right? So I was involved in church for a long time, but a little on my kind of intersect that with my faith story. It was like a religious thing, but it wasn't really a spiritual thing for me. I was always kind of as a kid, even hungering. I want this to be meaningful, but I'm like, I don't know if it is. Mm-hmm. It's my parents were doing it, but I mean, I just don't really know. Um, when I was about 14, there were no uh, paid musicians at the church. There were a couple of people who volunteered. We had a little kind of miserable sounding electric organ up in a choir loft, and that was the music. And there were two ladies who volunteered to play. And then I volunteered when I was about 13. I started playing piano when I was probably five or six years old and started taking lessons probably when I was about seven. So I kind of goofed around for a while and could pick it up pretty fast. I could play by ear pretty well. Started taking lessons and kind of was going down just like that was always like there. Music was always just sort of there. I don't know how interested I was in it. It was just something I was always doing. Um, I started doing playing organ at the church because we had a service where no one would play. And so we would just sing the songs like acapella, whatever they could do. And it went okay, you can imagine. But I thought, well, anybody could kind of carry the book around, be an altar server, light some candles. But I thought I actually play the piano. So how different would it be? I, I volunteered myself to go try to learn how to do this. And it took me probably a couple months to even figure out how to get around on it at all. I was determined to learn to use the pedals. Because I thought if you have all that sound with no bass, I knew that's where the bass sounds came from. And when you didn't have that, it sounded awful. So I was like, I was determined to do this, but I basically had no training. And it was pretty terrifying. And I remember the first couple of times doing this for a service. I was like, oh yeah, 14-year-old kid, you got your little list of songs. You're like, okay, here we go. I hope I do it at the right time. That's like your first moment of terror. Like, what if I don't play at the right time? (laughs) What if I don't come in or I play it when I'm not supposed Anyway, so I started doing that and slowly kind of got my feet under me with it. Music was becoming a more and more important thing to me. Uh, I played an instrument in my high school band as a brass player, so I played trombone, French horn, and I went and started being in the choir. You wouldn't catch me dead in a choir for most of that time. It was not a place for a nerdy band kid to go hang out. It would not improve my standing with any of the other people I might encounter in my life, so I was uh, not about yeah. that. But it, somehow that broke through when I was about a junior in high school, and I started being part because there was some friends of mine. We kind of all did it as a group got into that. And so I would start to do some of those things and having sort of growing up was more and more like little aha experiences with that music in general. Anyway, go off to college. I tried to stick with the Catholic faith for about a year. I was literally the only person in my dorm I ever saw leave on a Sunday morning to try to go to a church. So I tried to do this for a year. And after a year, I had just kind of given up because it was really something I was only doing on my own strength. The spirit was not behind it in that sense. It was just something I felt like I should do and it was important, but it was not the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, compelling me to worship God. It was, you should do this because, hey, you probably have plenty to feel a little guilty about your life. And, you know, this seems like a good <laughs> thing to do. And your parents yeah. would probably care if you stopped. But that fell away. And, you know, as I got further into college, I kind of got to a point of being sort of a very humanist kind of point of view. I had some sort of sense that there's some kind of supernatural 
I was never a pure atheist, but I, you know, the Christian God, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. That seems pretty far-fetched. That seems kind of like fairy tale. You know, you could make half of that up and I'm taking some philosophy and stuff like that and trying to like kind of wrestle with what's life all about kind of stuff. Mm. And so in my head, I was very much at a point of like, you know, there's probably some sort of higher power, but whatever that is, you know, it's what's good for you is good for you, you know, try to be good, but also, you know, figure out what that means for yourself. That could be anything. But then the thing about the supernatural sort of element to it is that music never let me really let go of that because I would have these times when I'm listening to music and it would just draw me in. And I'm like, there's something really special and profound. Maybe this composer, maybe this song, maybe this piece is like kind of dwelling in that same place I'm looking for. Yeah. There's something profound that's pulling me in. And 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 there must be something to that, you know. Um, and I was the music major and predominantly looking at classical music. So I would have these sort of aha moments with Beethoven's string quartets or with like a Brahms piece. They just seem very sort of spiritually alive in addition to all the sort of compelling artistic beauty. And I would see that in other places too. So I was always really drawn to artistic things, whether that's theater, whether that's painting, whether that's, you know, just all of these different things. I was so like kind of hungry for those things. And I was looking for some sort of transcendent in it. Yeah. That's what was happening. Yeah. Okay. So my undergraduate was at the University of Michigan. So went from Pennsylvania off to Michigan. Then I went to graduate school. I assumed I was going to go to probably somewhere in a city and like, you know, kind of a smaller I ended up going to Indiana University, which is another giant Big Ten school, like way out further in the Midwest. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> life did not go where I thought it would lead me there, but that was where the opportunity was. And it was while I was there, a few years in, I met a flute player uh, in a... Uh, Tell me more. Tell was, me more. Right, right, right. I was a theory assistant, and she had come in to take her, like, entrance graduate exams. And uh, so, anyways, I kind of paid attention to who she was and... But I remember a couple of weeks later going to hear one of the orchestras in the music school play. They were playing a piece that had these beautiful flute solos in it. And I thought, wow, that person sounds really great. We haven't had someone that really catches your ear. Like every once in a while you hear musicians that catches your ear. And I'm like, yeah. wow, you know, I haven't heard a flute player. I wonder who that is. And I'm like, oh, that's that girl from the test. Jennifer, her name was Jennifer Toro. Mm -hmm. And uh, to make a long story short, I ended up uh, very awkwardly and self-consciously a little while later trying to ask her out. And we started hanging out and clicking pretty well, which is good because we did eventually get married. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty solid. That That's some good news. But I was asking her in the moment. Spoiler I, alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. We got married. It's Jennifer, my wife. Um, what? What? Is that how that happened? <laughs> But I remember asking her, here's me, like, just sort of goofball, new agey, you know, thinking music, whatever, whatever I was, certainly not a Christian, right? But very convinced I knew what was going on with the universe in a spiritual sense, because uh, I must have figured something out, right? <laughs> that makes sense, except it doesn't. And I remember asking her, like, this is something really special about your playing. Like, what? What is it? And so I literally, like, you know, slow pitch right over home plate for her. And she's like, well, I do everything for God's glory. I don't know what you think you hear, but I play because I love Jesus and basically want people to respond to that in everything that I do. And I was like, what? What did you just say? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But tell me more, because there was just something, there was a piece about it that I didn't hear. Yeah. Most young musicians, when they play, have a lot of kind of anxiety behind what they're doing. And you can tell there's a lot of striving to do something great. And I'm like, she has like a piece about her when she does this, which is totally different. Anyway, so 
we ended up hanging out a bit, but she was very clear that she was not going to date me because I was not a Christian and she didn't date people unless there was any kind of chance for a long-term commitment. And that was certainly not going to be possible with me because of her convictions. And so she very successfully managed to not date me despite my repeated efforts, <laughs> but <laughs> very feeble, like, yeah, whatever. It, it was pretty, pretty pathetic. But anyway, so my birthday was coming around and she said, you know, I, I get you something for birthday. What would you like? And I said, you know, I want to get a Bible. And my rationale was I wanted to get the Bible because I had grown up Catholic. I was convinced I knew a few things about Christianity. We'd have these little debates. I would get soundly defeated by her apologetics in these debates about what was going on. I was just like, you know, the stools were locked out for me. And I'm going to read this for myself and find the places where I finally get the upper hand. And I'm right. Then we're going to have some debates and I'm going to come out ahead. This was literally my logic. So she's like, oh, okay, well, you want a Bible? All right. So she gets me, and I'm like, what kind of Bible do you want? Like, I want the most pure, authentic. I don't want someone messing around with it that is going to get tangled. Like, I want, yeah. you know, purest form you can find. Uh, she gets me an NASB, uh, which was <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's like, here you go. Wow. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah. So there I am, and I, over the next probably two months, I read through all the Gospels and started slugging my way through the New Testament. And what I was finding, first of all, I had taken all this philosophy and gotten very disillusioned with philosophy. I kind of got to a point where like pure logic is not going to be able to figure out everything going on in the world. Um, this made my philosophy teachers mad at me because they're like, you might believe in magic or whatever goofy things wrong with you. So, you know, that was not going to go anywhere. So I was kind of disillusioned with that. And, you know, there's got to be more to life than just what you can think. There's got to be more than life. You know, I know this is true for music, but I can't figure out what it is. And then I'm reading the words of Jesus. And it's so clear that describes humanity perfectly. Like it took two sentences to say what Kant couldn't say in volumes and volumes. Yeah. You know, it took one little paragraph about the heart of mankind, like three verses. And then, you know, literally from 1500 to 1700, they just struggled with this. Yeah. It's almost like he had insider information. I think I don't, that, I don't, so I don't know. Know. he must have had some inside information <laughs> and also just lots about the righteous and unrighteous and kind of how people are acting. I actually would have thought kind of highly of myself. I realize now. So God was opening my eyes to see my sin and see just yeah. all of this. Anyways, eventually what happens is I come, at school ends, she goes home, I come visit her, her family invites me out to visit them in St. Louis, come to St. Louis, you know, I hang out at her family's house, we go to church with them, because I was starting to attend church then, um, even though it was very much like, it's kind of true in my head, but I don't really know where my heart is, and I that heart commitment was kind of impossible for me, felt like. Um, mostly because it would admit, I have to admit that I'm wrong, that I've literally spent the last however many years and when you're a student, five years, whatever, but it feels like a huge part of your mature life, building this tower of great ideas about the world, only to find out you're just completely wrong. <laughs> it doesn't work that way at all. <laughs> you're kind of an idiot. I mean, whatever. It was a big piece of humble pie. I was just not like, I didn't think I could swallow that, you know? So the weekend came to an end. I had to go back to Bloomington, Indiana. We agreed that she was like, well, you know, maybe we'll be friends. Maybe we won't. It was kind of where she was leaving it. You know, you're a nice person, but your heart, like there's not going to be really any future in this. And I understood that. I didn't want to do anything that was inauthentic or, you know, obviously I knew I couldn't like lie or pretend. I mean, that's just not going to work. So that's kind of where we left it. So I get in the car and I start driving back to Bloomington, going down I-70. Um, I'd listened to a sermon. I cannot tell you to this day what it was. And then we had this CD kind of inspired by the tradition of the mixtapes that, you know, back when people made nice. sets, right? So Jennifer had made for me this CD, just all these quirky songs. And I'd listened to it many ways, good driving music. And I'd listened to it many times. And it got up to one of the tracks was a song by these guys called the Leuven Brothers. And they were these country music guys who used to play at the Grand Old Opry. 
And the song was called The Great Atomic Power. And what the theme of the song was, this song was probably written in what, like 1950 something. So middle of the, like, the Cold War, there's bombers, like, you know, nuclear testing and bombers and all this stuff, right? And, you know, everyone was convinced they were doing a nuclear war and everyone's going to die. And so they peed off of that theme in this song by basically <laughs> writing a song called, um, are you ready for the great atomic power? Will you rise and meet your maker in the end? Will you shout or will you cry? When the fire rains from on high, are you ready for that great atomic power? And the, the whole point of the song was when the bomb drops. Subtle. Subtle, yeah. When the bomb drops yeah. and everything blows up. Uh, oh, and there's some great, great lyrics in it. I, I can't remember some of them right now, but I mean, it's like uh, clouds of dust and the blotting out the work. I mean, just, it's really very quirky and funny to me now. Uh, it was in quirky then. Anyways, I'm listening to the song and I realized I didn't want to wait until the end of my life to figure out what was going to happen to me when I die. Um, to know, I'm like wrestling with all this, but I'm putting off, putting this off, putting this off. And I'm in the middle of I-70 somewhere. And I'm like, I don't want to fight this anymore. I give in. And I gave in to Christ. And, and it literally in my little Honda Civic driving down the road somewhere, I don't know where, before Effingham. Uh, and I felt this overwhelming sense of peace. You know, All the fighting that I had been doing in my whole life for so long, fighting off whatever guilt fighting off duty fighting off all of these things my mind my heart just constantly tugging at each other and fighting with each other and it just all melted away and i felt peace i had no idea what really that meant i just knew that for the first time in my life i felt like everything was going to be okay mm. and what happened is i got off the road i know it was before Effingham because i remember getting off at Effingham and calling jennifer and she was kind of like hello, you're calling me? It's only been an hour or whatever, two hours since you left. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to all be okay. And she's like, I don't even, like, what are you saying? And we kind of unpacked that then as time went by. And thus began a road of following Christ. You know, it's been a long, long journey for me. You know, it was just, that was the very, very first little step. And there were steps even before that, but that was the very, very first step for me uh, where my heart really changed. And I know that that was an important time for me. And then yeah, it's been growing ever since. So I guess I wanted to sort of tell that story. Like, what do you need to know about me? Like, that's the story. Um, there's a lot more yeah. to know. It's much more fun, probably. But that's... Uh... Uh, I think what's really interesting is as someone who grew up with said flute player, right? I remember when she came back from college and talked about meeting this guy who was not a Christian, but man, like there was, there was a lot there. Mm -hmm. And so it was really fun to see the arc of this whole relationship play out to then wind up on staff at Central. Right, that is and, true. And, you know, they're like, hey, you know, we just hired this new music guy. We think you're really going to like him. His name is Matt Mazzoni. And I'm like, that name sounds so familiar. familiar. And they're like, yeah, his wife yeah. is a flute player. Her name is Jennifer. And I'm like, got it. Right. <laughs> come back and i'm That's like wild. oh my gosh you're married you've got three kids like this is coming right so yeah by the time you had three kids which was so. amazing well 2.99 kids because yes. jenna was yes. born the week right. i started at central um yeah. oh wow yeah so oh, we ended up going on we got married uh obviously i then i took a job down in murray kentucky at murray state and i was on the music faculty there for a couple years and then i came back to st louis where i was a church music director and in god's Humorous Providence put me back in the Catholic Church, and my hope was to, I was like, well, I understand how you do things. I don't really agree with all that you're saying about it, but I mean, my hope was just to help people see that Jesus was risen and resurrected and not just as depicted on the crucifix in the front of the church. One of the most interesting comments I got was, he prays like a Protestant, because I would, <laughs> would, would just pray at the end of a rehearsal without, you know, reading a scripted prayer. But that sort of started that journey, and I came to Central then after having been there for a handful of years, and We've been here ever since. 
So being from PA, what is your favorite thing about living in St. Louis versus where you're from, or maybe even Kentucky? You weren't there very long. But... <laughs> right. Well, aside from that, Jennifer's family is here. Like we were looking to move out of Kentucky. We didn't put a target on St. Louis, but lo and behold, you know, it certainly was a viable option and it's what worked out. Well, I should say it's what the Lord had for us, right? Which is entirely true. Um, so what I like about St. Louis, what I like about it being from Pennsylvania is even a little more specific, but I'll say what I generally like about St. Louis is just it's a very family-friendly place. There's all the great free stuff. Like that is something we really <laughs> treasure. Like you can go to the zoo with Solid. your kids for free. Like when you've got a young family, like that's a great thing. You know, you can go do all these things. You know, you can see Joe Muni for free if you get in line. You, there's lots of those things that are either free or very affordable. It doesn't yeah. hurt that the Cardinals is a much better baseball team than the Pirates, which were my perennial <laughs> disappointment growing up as like about a oh, six three. Their like last glory time would have been when I was in about middle of elementary school and I remember getting so excited and then the Braves would come along or somebody and knock them out. Yep. I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. So that's been kind of fun. But one of the things I do actually enjoy about it, maybe more than other places in the Midwest, is that St. Louis is actually old and has history. Because when you're from Pennsylvania, mm. everything is 200 years old and everything dates back to whenever. And it's just sort of sense of the long history. And a lot of the Midwest Indianapolis to me, I'm always feels like, what's going on? Like, why did people move here? Why do people <laughs> live here? Like, it's what makes us different than the other. Anyway, yeah. no, no offense to anybody from Indianapolis. It's a lovely place. Yeah, but I mean, shout out to always, our audience at Indianapolis. Right, right, right. No, so. It always feels different. So St. Louis has that long, you know, it goes back a long, long way and plays a long part in the story. I think that's yeah. always something that's for me from being from the East, like resonated with a little bit. So, yeah, you know, I think it's always cool, like coming here and, and being able to trace like World's Fair conversations, right? Because Knoxville had the World's Fair, but in like 1982, you know, like, it's <laughs> okay. not a little different, a little different than different, like right, 1904. Right. And so, yeah, it's really cool to be like, you're in the city that had the first Olympics or, right. you know, in America yeah, exactly. or mm -hmm. things like that. And you're like, what? And then I ended up started working on campus of the location of the first Olympics right. in America. And I was like, well, this is even cooler. It's like pretty um, mild. Yeah. 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 I would love to kind of ask you, we have a mission vision statement and we talked about that in the first episode with Clay and uh, it was really helpful to understand. We also know that we have uh, an annual mission and vision statement kind of that drives what we do. And so I'm curious, maybe this being kind of our final targeted question is where do you fit in right now? Or where do you see yourself doing like this year's particular part of the mission and vision of intentional discipleship and evangelism? What do you see in that kind of play out even in your your area, because I know it does. And I think people might not think uh, that might not be like the first click on everybody's thought. When you talk about choir and you talk about all these different things, like there is discipleship happening there that we might not know about, things like that. Right, right, I would right. love to hear sure. you kind of chat a little bit. Yeah. Well, where worship, I think, kind of fits in all that is sort of straddling both of them with one foot in each one kind of squarely in the middle. Uh, there's an author named Zach Hicks who wrote a book on some of this and he used a picture of describing the purpose of worship like what we can talk about the sort of vertical purpose of worship and connecting with god and you know renewing our relationship with him and him growing us into all that stuff right that's great and then there's a horizontal aspect of it um, which is compelling us into mission and so he said the purpose of worship is missions right the purpose of coming and worshiping god and beholding his face is a desire to then go out and do what he calls us to do and to use that phrase we use around here a lot to be on mission wherever he puts us to be 
So that's the goal of worship is to be compelled to go out into the mission of God. And that can be literally missions, like what we talk about as missions ministry, or that can be serving in some way, or that can, but just call to lead that life. And then the goal of missions, Zach makes this point, is worship. So worship leads to missions, missions leads to worship. And I want to say the goal of missions is worship. It isn't meant to say the goal of all ministries is to bring people through the doors for worship service at Central Press, but the goal is to bring people into the right relationship with Christ and to be worshiping him in their hearts and to have that true relationship. And the mechanism by which all that happens is discipleship. So we worship the Lord, and then through our other discipleship, we're brought into the mission and serving him. There's ways, as, as a new Christian, I mean, like, I remember not thinking about, well, how am I going to serve? Someone has to kind of help show me and teach me and bring me along and take me on that thing that's going out and doing a project or whatever. Like, you go out and you do it, and you get kind of changed by it. And you're like, wow, okay, I see this, and I start wanting to do more. Like, we bring our children along, you know, we have to be brought into it. I mean, that's discipleship that does that. And then on the flip side, then how do you bring someone from the mission uh, field, to use a term, but not, you know, wherever you're on mission, wherever you're connecting with people, you bring them back, you bring them to Christ, you witness Christ to them through some kind of discipleship. You're going to talk with them. You're going to have a relationship with them. You're going to do those things. And so you're making those intentional relationships. So in that way, worship sits in the middle of that. And I think that I can look at it on a macro and a micro level. Uh, on the macro level, I'll talk about the church as a whole. We're not looking to traditions or trends. We're looking to depth. We're looking to content. We're looking to how can we form people. There's something really kind of cool about when you have everyone singing the words of a song together, how that mm -hmm. will form people. Uh, someone used an analogy. It's like a speechwriter. Like when a politician gives a speech, they have some ideas, but they didn't really write verbatim. Someone else wrote that speech and gave it to them and said, now you're going to say this. This is actually going to be hopefully true of what you want to say. Maybe you didn't quite have the words or you didn't get it all put together, but we're going to do that. So I would hope that our songs is like a speech writer's task that like we're giving you voice to the things that your heart wants to say. You might not have the way to articulate it yourself, yeah. but you're able to now share in this. And hopefully it is ringing true of your heart and mind and soul that it's there. So you've got that. So that's a discipleship kind of aspect, just thinking about music that is just part of what we do, you know, and why we want to put such a high emphasis on doing it corporately, congregationally, to the degree that we can and all that, all the little COVID asks us, you know, are there, but uh, why we put such a high emphasis on it. And then on the flip side, the macro is just the actual ministry I run, like the mechanics of it with the people who are involved in the worship teams and the choir and the ensembles and the families that have the parents and kids choirs and stuff like that. We want all our worship musicians to see that they're called to be there. You know, God called them once as they came to faith in Christ. You know, God has called them to be in relationship with him. And then he's also called them to serve him by leading the church in worship. And there's tons and tons of pretty extraordinary ways that that plays out in the Bible. I focus on knowing each other better. That's what we can do. We've been having people share testimonies and stories, their own stories. Of course, it's always amazing when you hear those, right? That's been really special to see people get to know each other. So we've been doing those kinds of discipleship, like how do we understand our calling better, go deeper in that. And then even in the service, when we're practicing getting ready for that, we're talking about, okay, so like this is coming out of this moment. After following a sermon, like the broom feels one way, which is going to be different than the way it feels at the opening, which is different than the way it feels at the very end. And so we're trying to talk about, like, how do we clue into that and move with that? So even though we knew what song we were doing in advance, we planned it, but we're still hopefully allowing the spirit room to shape that moment, yeah. hoping to, you know, and sometimes you feel that very acutely and sometimes maybe not as acutely, but, you know, it's certainly always faithfulness is always present. We can certainly ascribe that to God's faithfulness and saying, like, okay, you know, yeah. it isn't about my emotional response yeah. to that moment. It isn't about 
whether I really felt like we really got it that time or whether it just sort of, you know, nailed it. Yeah. It's not about that. Yeah. You know, faithfulness counts for a lot. So, yeah, I love, I love what you said with the music often like the speechwriter kind of comparison. Cause I've heard that about liturgy in many ways. It's the of, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so the ability to go, I don't have the words right now. Uh, I'm either too mad. Yeah. I'm really angry and I can't come up with the words or I'm too sad and I can't come right. up with yeah. the words. Or, or I don't know if I can be that honest with my heart. Right. Or I'm, <laughs> or I'm pretty ambivalent. Right. And yeah. So it's like, yeah. And so it gives you the words to go, this is what needs to be true of me in this time. Mm -hmm. That's really great. And that's something I don't think I ever really processed in my early time, not to discredit my early formation by any means, but coming to appreciate the weight and the power of formative words mm -hmm. that happen in our lives. And in so many ways, I mean, yeah. it's funny because we think of this in worship music, we think this in liturgy, but I mean, think back about the words that you remember most that your family told you or mm -hmm. that your friends have told. The first time somebody said, I love you. The first time someone said, you did a great job. The first time someone said all of these things, those are powerful and hold so much weight. Mm -hmm. So imagine taking that into a service of conversation with God right. <laughs> and speaking in that thing. And when the words of forgiveness wash over you and right. you're going, oh my gosh, he really does love me. Even though I just said this confession that was pretty intense about my life, he still loves me. Right. Yeah, yeah it's really beautiful and really compelling. Mm -hmm. That is really helpful, so, especially growing up. I grew up in a church. That was very different from central in at least the way that we did worship. And it was very much about emotion. And for me, it was my spiritual health kind of depended on how excited or how much emotion I was experiencing. And that actually produced a lot of guilt, which was never really a good thing. So I think the fact <laughs> that you have shaped liturgy and have other people involved in that was actually probably a little bit more of a healthier and more formative way of doing worship. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting because all these things have their time and place and they have a time and place. Different levels have different impact on different people at different times in their lives. So I, back in my story, I mentioned that I read an NASB Bible. I got to be honest, I got into the epistles. I couldn't follow it. It was so dense, so complicated. It was like kind of too much for my brain to wrap its head around. I needed something a little more straightforward, uh, which the NIV served perfectly fine. Went to the KJV. Yeah, right. Which it just served perfectly fine for me to like read it and I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I kind of compare the two. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, I see that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, I think about musical style sometimes with respect to Bible translations, I think is a reasonable analogy. Like sometimes you've got yeah. the message, and that's a super appropriate tool for. A certain context and certain when you need to communicate people that way that is a great way to do it and then a more scholarly bible translation whatever is going to be right for some other context and at a point of just asking that very first question about it you probably don't want to like load up with the heaviest meal <laughs> if someone's starving maybe you can take them to mcdonald's that will be okay you probably don't need to take them to a five course sit down dinner and be like well let's get started <laughs> yeah. on the soup you're like i'm just hungry <laughs> i need yeah. something i could eat we all know those five course meals have like little bitty portions yeah, I know, right. too. little bitty things. Well, you so. have to come back every week <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to get the whole menu eventually. Uh, so yeah, I think that one of the things I have to always keep in mind is just how things speak differently to folks and you can't yeah. manufacture those moments. And then the other side, 
I think it's really important for structure to have a spiritual warmth within it that without the Holy Spirit, mm. Mike Farley talks about this, uh, liturgy without the presence of the Spirit, it's like a, looking at a fireplace that's got no fire in it. It's going to be a beautiful yeah. stone mantelpiece, but it's literally just a set piece. And if there's no warmth from the fire, then cold. It, it's cold. <laughs> it's cold. It doesn't really yeah. serve its real purpose, you know, and no matter how beautiful yeah. you make that exterior, it'll never make up for what it might be missing on the inside. I think that's got to be really important to us. I hope that that's something we really strike a balance yeah. with that. Yeah, it's got a structure or worship has a structure, but that it's hopefully still something that's warm and connectional and not uh, cold and austere. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever yeah. Sandy Weltman gets up on his harmonica, I definitely feel a lot of warmth there. There's a lot of warmth there. Yeah. yeah that man can play anything and make it. Yes, he can. Most compelling thing yeah. you've ever heard. <laughs> oh man. Awesome. Well, Matt, uh, number one, thank you for being here. I'm gonna make Mazzoni number one. I think. Can I be oh. Matt A then? Uh, yeah. So that's what we can do. Matt A and Matt B. Matt. No, no, um, no, no. Matt A and Matt one. <laughs> yeah, I think oh. that we have to do it right. Yeah, Matt Woods is not super excited about you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Matt Mazzoni. Oh, thanks right. for being with us today. I really appreciate it. And we look forward to doing some more work in thinking through the whys of worship and, and thinking through that. And so I'm really appreciative that you consider doing that. Love to. And um, if people had questions, that would be a great thing to maybe have. A, yeah. Is there some way to do some kind of like Q&A? That'd be amazing. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that'd be great. Don't, don't tempt us with a good time. <laughs> you know, if you have any questions for Matt Mazzoni, Director of Worship Ministries at Central, uh, you can email him and get a hold of him if you are interested in actually even doing worship and other things uh that'd be great and then of course we'll put his information in the show notes and and as we go to there's also a shout out shameless plug cds out there uh mm -hmm. i say out there but where can you buy them just at the church right that's kind of oh we have some here yeah you can get them here jennifer and i have a website mazonimusic.com oh yeah website. we can get yeah. them to you there i mean you can find them on amazon spotify itunes oh. and stuff like that look at them mm -hmm. i know dope right we got real artists up in here all the places although we, we do love it when you actually buy them you do get a little more yeah. all the stuff that goes with it well the last one we had paul rising paint a beautiful painting that's part of the cover art and some stuff like that yeah so hopefully those are all that's meaningful awesome. to people as well so. I mean, to tell me the 12 cents you get from Spotify, you're not really. Uh, it's like 0. <laughs> 0.002 cents per stream. I mean, like, uh, yeah. so if you want to listen to on Spotify, just put it on repeat for a long, long, long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just play it <laughs> all until it gets day. Dollar. Oh, man. But no, yeah, thank you for that. It's been great to be hanging out with you all and love to do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, thanks for being with us. We're glad you're here today. Once again, if you need. If you want more information about worship at Central or have any questions for Matt, those information will be in the show notes. And we'll see you next week, or at least in two weeks, when we come back and, and talk more about worship. So thanks for being with us, and we will see you later. Thanks for being with us today. It's good to be together. If you want to find out more about Central Prez, uh, please go to our website at centralpres.com or find us on all the social media things with the handle at CPCSTL. Join us next time as we continue to learn and grow together uh, into the family of God. Blessings, friends.